News. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. There is another use of the Ten Commandments in our lives, and it's one that we that we started out with talking about, and that is presenting the gospel. An understanding of the Ten Commandments and a use of them properly will keep you from giving a, a distorted gospel picture. We need to use the law to help people define sin in their lives. They're not sinners in general. They're sinners in specifics. And this is how Jesus used it in dealing with this young, wealthy man. It is not an enjoyable thing to come face to face with our sins and failures before God. Yet, before we can receive the pardon and transformation that God offers in Jesus Christ, we must first recognize our great spiritual need for His deliverance. You are listening to Verse by Verse with Steve Kreloff. Today, Pastor Steve is completing a sermon which is actually the first in a series of messages on the Ten Commandments. It is a very timely series in our day and age, one that I'm sure will challenge each of us if we listen attentively. Let's join the study now as Pastor Steve explains how Jesus fulfilled the whole law of God. Let me explain to you, and let's go through this, and I would encourage you to write this down. The law, though the, though the Bible doesn't neatly divide it like this in one verse, it has to be this way because the New Testament clarifies this. The law is broken down into three aspects. First of all, there are the, there are the ceremonial laws. Those are such laws as the sacrificial system, the whole priesthood. The, the Jewish feasts, all the ceremonies, dietary laws, ritual cleansings, things, things of that nature, temple worship, all, all that. Those were ceremonial laws. All of those ceremonies, watch this, were mere symbols and pictures of Christ. He's the reality. He's the substance. They were types. They were pictures. They pointed to him. We are not obligated to keep these laws. That's, that's the message of, of the book of Hebrews. That whole system is, is placed aside because in Christ, it was done away with in the sense that he fulfilled them. He, he is the fulfillment. That's why if you look at Colossians chapter 2, this is, this is important because people want to put us under the bondage of legalism. What you can do on certain days and what you can eat and, and what clothes you can wear, it's legalism. And Paul addressed this in many places, but I think it's very pointed in Colossians chapter 2. Verse 16, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. You see, those are the ceremonial laws. Notice what he said, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. They're only shadows. They're only pictures. They were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He indeed is, for example, our Passover. He is our cleansing. He is our Sabbath rest. He is our ultimate sacrifice. He fulfilled that. You aren't under any law to obey certain foods. Now, you can choose whatever you want to eat, but those things are for nutritional purposes, not religious purposes. You can eat whatever you want. It may not all be good for you, but you are not under any Old Testament rule of life as to what you can eat and what you can't eat. Or our Jewish holidays and feasts and things like that. Remember God told Peter in Acts chapter 10. He gave him a vision with, with animals. 
all on this white sheet that came down from heaven. He said, eat whatever you want, Peter. Eat whatever you want. This is to a, an Orthodox Jewish man who had never eaten anything unclean. And the Lord said, Peter, arise and eat. And he was simply saying that the, that, that aspect of the ceremonial laws are done away with in the sense that they're fulfilled in Christ. Jesus didn't destroy them. He simply fulfilled them. Secondly, Jesus also fulfilled all of, and this is another aspect of the law, the judicial laws or the civil codes that governed Israel. These were laws about justice. And we can say in one sense, Christ fulfilled them because he is the epitome of justice. He he is just. He is perfectly righteous. But there's also a sense in which he fulfilled them in that the cross marked Israel's rejection of the Messiah. See, these civil codes were for Israel, specifically to how to govern Israel. And the cross marked Israel's rejection of the Messiah. And by virtue of that rejection, God has, and note this, temporarily, not permanently, temporarily set Israel aside as he builds his church today made up of Jew and Gentile. And the New Testament comes along and makes it clear that the church is not, I repeat, is not mandated to follow these civil laws, these legal codes. You say, well, how do you, how do you know that? Because if we were then we are to take stubborn children out and stone them to death. That's what the legal code said. Anyone here who's ever been involved in adultery is to be taken out and killed. That's the legal code of the Old Testament. Instead, what the New Testament teaches is that we are to abide by the judicial code set down by the governments that we live under. Romans chapter 13. Now, if you happen to live under a government that says, those involved in adultery are to be killed, and that's what happens in that, in that land. But we're not in that land. And, what, and the point is, is that we don't live by those civil laws. We are not Israel. That's, that's uniquely for Israel. But the real, so, so judicial laws, ceremonial laws, all fulfilled in Christ in the sense that, that in his death, done away with for us. But the really important question for us is this. What about the moral laws which are presented in outline form in the Ten Commandments? Are we still obligated to obey them? And the answer emphatically, dogmatically is yes. Why? Because the moral laws, watch this, are an expression of God's unchanging holiness. And the way Jesus continues to fulfill those moral laws today is by writing them in the hearts of his people through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is still fulfilling them through us. And I want you to see this, Romans chapter 8. Now, you know, in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul speaks about his own struggle with the law. And he tells us that he is a sinner. And I am convinced Paul wrote this as a believer. He desires to obey God, he says, in his inward man, but he struggles with it. The things he doesn't want to do, he does. The things that he shouldn't do, he knows he, he does. The things that he wants to do, he doesn't know he's doing, and it's a struggle. He comes out of Romans chapter 7 into Romans chapter 8, and look what he says about the law in verse 8 of Romans chapter, uh, verse 3 rather, of Romans chapter 8. He said, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. There's nothing wrong with the law. The problem was our flesh, our sin. God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, he was not sinful flesh, but in the likeness of it. As an offering 
for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. You realize what Paul is saying? Because of our sinful natures, the law was powerless to either save us or produce any righteousness in us. The law doesn't have that ability. It's not the purpose of the law. But through the death of Christ, God's condemnation against sin was poured out on his own son. And now something wonderful has happened to us. Something great. The very moral laws of God that we once were unable to obey. We once hated these laws. We, we couldn't stand them. Now we are able to obey them because the Holy Spirit has changed our hearts. And not only do we, do we have the power to obey them now, even though we still struggle with sin, you have the power to obey them, and the desire is there to obey them as well. You see, what Paul is referring to here by implication is a promise given long ago to Israel and applied to us in Jeremiah 31. Let me read it to you. If you can find it quickly, that's fine. But Jeremiah 31, it's called the New Covenant. We entered into the aspect of the New Covenant when we came to faith in Christ. Jesus established at least an aspect of the New Covenant, the spiritual aspect of it, when he established uh, the Lord's Supper and spoke about that. It is the New Covenant in his blood. Now, it does await future full fulfillment to Israel. But, but listen to this. Jeremiah 31, verse 33, says this. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart. I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God has placed his law in our hearts. The morality always continues of the law. Sinclair Ferguson wrote this. He explained this whole concept when he wrote, God's law is no longer an external rule that we find burdensome because God has given us a new heart committed to him and his ways. We want to obey him. That's often one of the first discoveries a new Christian makes, whereas before he struggled against God's law, now he finds that he has a heart to obey it. What he's saying is that's, that's the evidence of the new birth. The new birth is regeneration. The new birth is, is God's nature in you. You've been given a divine nature. And that's why we say if, a, if someone claims to know Christ and has no desire to obey him, he doesn't know Christ. The evidence of being a believer is not that you perfectly obey, but that you have a desire to obey, that your life is characterized by obedience. That's the message of, of 1 John. In fact, that's the message throughout the Bible. Now, folks, the point of all of this is to say that the Ten Commandments are the eternal expression of God's will for believers in every age. They were not introduced to mankind at Mount Sinai when God gave them to Israel. Most people don't realize that. Long before God ever revealed the Ten Commandments to Israel in written form, they were written in the hearts and in the consciences of everybody. That's what Romans chapter 2 teaches. Now, Romans chapter 2 is important for you to see this. Romans chapter 2 is in a passage of Scripture in which Paul is proving that everyone on the planet has suppressed the truth of God. Everyone. They may not have all of the Bible in written form, but whatever they know about God, they suppressed it. They said, we don't want it. We're not going to obey it. We're not interested. And he puts the Jew on trial and he said, you have the law, but you haven't obeyed it. He puts the Gentiles on trial and he said, you have the truth about God, but you haven't obeyed. Now, where do the Gentiles have the truth? You're talking about pagans. Romans chapter 2, verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Meaning, 
Even if you don't have the law in written form, you're going to perish. If you don't obey the truth, well, how would they know the truth? For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. And that's true. If someone could keep all the law, they would be justified. But there's only one who's done that, and that's Jesus. For when Gentiles who do not have, verse 14, do not have the law, meaning they don't have the written law, do instinctively, he's talking about the Ten Commandments now, the moral aspect of the law. When they do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. What he's saying is though not everyone knows the Ten Commandments by name, Everyone knows intuitively in his own heart and conscience what's right and what's wrong. There's a moral code written in our hearts. There is an innate awareness of what's right and wrong. And when unbelieving pagans who have never read the Bible, have never seen anything of the Ten Commandments, when they violate these moral laws, they do experience the weight of a guilty conscience. Now, you can get callous to that. But they know what guilt is. Why? Why? Well, they don't have the law, but they do have the law in their hearts. That's always been the way it is. That's why the Bible, even before the giving of the law, presents Bible characters as having a knowledge of sinning against God. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament who was in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him and and, uh, drag him into bed with her? And he said... How can I do this and sin against God? Now, how did he know that was a sin against God? He's never read, thou shalt not commit adultery. It's in his heart. He knows that. He knew that. Cain knew that it was wrong to kill his brother Abel. Abraham knew that it was wrong to lie about Sarah being his sister. Jacob made statements about stealing is wrong. These, these people knew that. They didn't need the law to tell them that. The law simply codified all of the, the, the morality that God had put in the heart, the, the law, the Ten Commandments articulated it. It was really a very gracious thing for God to say, let me spell it out to you clearly. But the truth has been given to all of us. And you know what? The moral laws are still binding on us today. They existed before the law was given to Israel and they continue to exist today. And that's why, folks, they're mentioned throughout the New Testament. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul speaks about honor, children uh, obeying their parents, he said, that's what the commandment says. Honor your mother and father. Paul speaks as if the, the commandments are in operation today, because they are. They were always intended by God to be of a permanent and lasting nature. So the question you might have, well, wait a minute. Doesn't Paul say, though, that we're not under law, but under grace. Yes, he said that, but what did he mean by that? He meant by that that you're no longer under any moral obligation to keep all the ceremonial and civil laws. You're, you're no longer under that type of a system. You have been set free to live under the system of grace, but grace doesn't keep you and free you, I should say, from keeping God's moral laws. So the first vital truth that keeps us on track and away from error is this, that the law is permanent in nature. Now, there's a second truth I want to cover very quickly. The second truth that keeps us from error, and it's this. The law 
specifically the Ten Commandments, has an ongoing purpose in the life of a believer. We understand from the New Testament no one can ever be saved by the keeping of the law. Romans 3 speaks of that. Romans 10, Galatians 3, very, very very clear. To say anything else is heresy. You You cannot be good enough keeping the commandments to try to get to heaven. No one keeps them in the true intent. But once we turn away from the law as a means of salvation and we place our faith in Christ, you know what happens? We turn from the law, we come to Christ for salvation, we trust Christ, Jesus sends us back to the moral laws and says, obey them now out of love. Obey them out of love. Not trying to merit heaven, but because you love me. That's why when a man came to Jesus one day and he said, what's the greatest commandment? What did Christ say? To love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And then he added the second is love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That's what it's all about. Love God and obey him. That's what it, listen, love and law go together. Same thing of saying grace and law work together. In other words, we keep his commandments because we love him and we love others. If you love him, you'll have no other idols in your life. If you love your neighbor, you won't covet his wife. I mean, that's what, that's what the commandments are about. They're about love. So obedience to God's moral laws reveal our love for him and our love for people. But there is another use of the Ten Commandments in our lives, and it's one that we, that we started out with talking about, and that is presenting the gospel. An understanding of the Ten Commandments and a use of them properly will keep you from giving a, dis- a distorted gospel picture. We need to use the law to help people define sin in their lives. They're not sinners in general. They're sinners in specifics. And this is how Jesus used it in dealing with this young, wealthy man. And I, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. This is very important, and you'll see. I mentioned it before, but I want you to see it for yourself. Mark chapter 10, we're told about a rich young ruler. So this is a young, wealthy man who who had some authority. Verse 17, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Do you realize what an incredible question that is? That's like you're sitting on an airplane, and the person next to you says, Do you know how I can be saved? And it doesn't mean because the plane is dropping. I mean, how, how can I, I'm going to have forgiveness of sins. Uh, that's, that's incredible. But notice what Jesus said. Verse 19, let's jump down there. He said, you know the commandments, the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. What's he doing telling him about the commandments? I thought salvation is by grace. Why the commandments? Jesus certainly knew you couldn't get to heaven by keeping the commandments. That that screams in the face of everything that the Bible teaches. Well, there's a reason why he said this. Verse 20, he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Now, why did Jesus bring up the Ten Commandments? Jesus knew that you couldn't get to heaven by keeping them, but you know what? This man didn't know that. And Jesus knew that this man had not kept the Ten Commandments, but this man didn't know that. He was self-righteous. Listen, listen to how he answered. Verse 20, teacher, I have kept all of these things from my youth up. You've, you've never had a lustful, more than a thought, never had a lustful fantasy in your mind. You've never hated somebody enough to murder them. You've never stolen anything, anything. 
You've, you've ne- I mean, on and on. This man was self-righteous. And so what did Jesus say? He put his finger on his sin. And verse 21 says, looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him, which, by the way, indicates that Christ loves even the non-Christian. Felt a love for him, and he said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven and come, follow me. Our Lord was saying, sell all your possessions, give to the poor. And and what he was doing, he was putting his finger on the 10th commandment and saying, young man, thou shalt not covet. And you are covetous. You are a greedy, rich boy. You are guilty of a covetous, greedy heart. And you need to see yourself as a lost sinner in need of salvation. When you do that, you turn away from the love of riches, that idol you've, you've created in your life called money and things, and then come. Follow me as your Savior and Lord. That's how you receive eternal life. Folks, it's the same thing we ought to be telling people. We ought to be telling them about their sin specifically. And you hold the law up and then tell them to turn from their sin. That's repentance. First conviction, then repentance from sin. And then tell them about the cross. And that's faith in Christ and commitment to him as Lord and Savior. That's, that's the gospel message in a nutshell. For the first time, this self-righteous man had his sin exposed And it seems to me he saw his attitude towards money for what it really was, an idol. The law and the lawgiver had enlightened him as to his sinful condition. Why do I say that? Because the Bible says this, verse 22, but at these words he was saddened. Saddened because he knew the truth now. And he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. He was a sad man because now he knew the truth that he was covetous, but he was not willing to turn from his sin. What about you? As we begin this series on the Ten Commandments, do you know that you're a sinner? Not just generally out there that, yeah, I have some faults. Do you know that you've broken every one of the Ten Commandments? If not outwardly, you've broken all of them inwardly, and probably a lot of them outwardly. You've broken them as, as well as I have in thought, in attitude, in action. You have idols in your life that need to be repented of. You need to do that. The law is the, is the axe that's chopped at our lives and drives us to Christ. Let Christ save you today. If you've never come to him, come to him today. He died in the place of sinners, taking the penalty of the law, and he will give you his righteousness. Now, you think I'm finishing up, don't you? You're right. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, we delight in your word as believers. We, we would never teach that the moral code is over. God forbid we should teach that, Lord, because that would be saying that you've changed. So, Father, as we embark upon this wonderful journey of getting into each of the Ten Commandments, we pray that you will help us, first of all, understand that they are not irrelevant for us. They are not for some prior dispensation or some future dispensation, they're for us. They've always been for your people. They've always expressed your holy standards. And I pray, Lord, as you shine the light on our sin, I pray that you will help us, Lord, not to make excuses, not to justify our sins, but to repent of them, to be honest before you, to confess our own sin, and Lord, to to be in awe of your holy standards. And I pray that we will be Um, those who who proclaim the gospel, Lord, by preaching the law, showing people that they are sinners. So many times, Lord, we we speak to those who are self-righteous. They think they're good. They can't even name the Ten Commandments, but they think they've obeyed them, and they haven't. 
And I pray that you'll help us, Lord, to be changed in our own lives and in our gospel witnessing as a result of the series. If, if some are here, Lord, today without Christ, I pray that you will shine the light of, of your morality upon them, that they might see their, their darkened conscience, their darkened sinful natures, and that they might come running to Christ as the precious one who died for sinners. And we pray this in his precious name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on Verse by Verse. To find out more about this ministry, you can contact us by calling 727-239-0306 or you can email us at contact at versebyverseradio.org. We also invite you to call if you have questions about how you can experience the forgiveness of your sins and a change of heart through Jesus Christ. And we invite you to please join us next time as Pastor Steve begins to look at the first of these famous commandments from God, right here on Verse by Verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse. Church is where you find the teaching and fellowship.